This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, podcast number 55. Um, a good number, 55. Uh, with me in Long Island, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, John. Uh, in besieged Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hey, John. And in uh, Sweden, the north of Sweden, Johan Edinburgh. Hi, Johan. Good evening. Um, there's a lot of things, obviously, as there always are, to, to talk about. And, and I think maybe I want to start with two related things that overlap, and then you guys can, can comment on it. Um, the first was that I had a question because in Norway in September, the government, the previous administration said, we're now, it's all over. We're considering that the COVID is just the flu, essentially a seasonal virus. There will be no more restrictions and we just have to learn to live with it. Uh, if you, if you Google that and say September statement, by Norwegian government saying it's just like the flu. Fact checkers will tell you that's false. Now, it's not false. I heard it. But um, beyond that, the government has kind of in stealth now rolled out under the radar COVID passports, essentially. They're not effective yet, and, and it's unclear when they're going to be, but the intention is clearly to do that. So the question I had before I get to the second part of this, my topic, my question is like, what is the mechanism by which that decision to change policy essentially took place in Norway? Who did somebody call the prime minister? Did somebody call the health minister? and say, no, 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 that doesn't work, that doesn't look good, that, you know, this, we were very worried about, you know, the winter months coming, and it's not just a seasonal flu, no, no, no. Um, and that they had leverage of some sort um, to convince the Norwegian government, or are these Western governments now so beholden to the U.S. anyway that they'll do whatever they're told? I don't have the answer to that exactly. Um, but I, and maybe it's a dumb question. I'm not even sure because I know in a bigger way, I understand the answer. I think obviously we all do, but, but I'm interested in the mechanism, uh, the, the event that happened that, that put in motion this change of policy. Uh, and, and, um, the second thing, though, I think, and we've all been talking about this, uh, of course, is Austria, the protests and uh, the government's policy there effectively to lock down the entire country. I mean, they're locking down everyone, uh, which is a violation of, you know, so many international laws and norms that your head spins. Uh, but but it's happening in Australia too, and Canada I think is perilously close, right? So so um, looking forward, 
how does that work? And then the third part, of course, and we've talked about this before, but I want more current thoughts on it is why? Why is there this urgency? This gets into really spooky territory, but for everyone to, I mean, Norway's already 89% vaccinated or something. Why do they care if the last 12% don't get vaccinated? I don't understand. Anyway, I turn it over to one of you. Uh-oh, dead air. Okay. <laughs> okay, I, I, <laughs> I'm gonna, okay, so where, where to begin? I'll start with this. Um, this is, I, I wanted to discuss this, um, jumping on what you said, John, about the purpose of the vaccines. It's really, really um, incredible, isn't it? And so anyway, um, fertility in Canada, if you look at the adverse effects from the quote unquote vaccines, experimental injections, you see that um, 75% actually of the reported um, events are, are female. And so that's massive, you know, that's a huge number. And then keep in mind that, you know, probably it's around the same system as in the United States um, because it's a lot of work and doesn't make money to make these um, difficult and lengthy reports. You're, you know, they say probably, you know, 10% um, that, you know, 10% of all the actual injuries are reported, not all of them, especially if they're coming from privatized clinics like long-term care. So anyway, I'll jump into this. Um, Dr. Graham Bridal is a professor of um, viral immunology at the University of Guelph in Ontario here, not, not far from me. And this is from the summer, June 11th, 2021. Um, this um lecture interview was published and um actually if you can believe it it's still up on youtube um bridal's actually worked in vaccines his entire career and he's actually a um, very vocal proponent of vaccines he's just not he's just very much against this one and i just want to read what he says what i transcribed from the lecture i can't remember it could have been an interview okay also of concern is evidence of a study that has not been yet accepted for publication this one they were trying to show that the antibodies from the vaccine get transferred through the breast milk. And the idea was that this may be a good thing because it would confer some passive protection to babies. However, what they found inadvertently was, it, was that the vaccines, the messenger vaccines actually get transferred through the breast milk. So delivering the vaccine vector itself into infants that are breastfeeding. Also with this, now we know spike protein gets into circulation. Any proteins in the blood will get concentrated in breast milk. Looking into the adverse event database in the United States, we found evidence of suckling infants experiencing bleeding disorders in the gastrointestinal tract. In short, the conclusion is we made a big mistake. We didn't realize it until now. We thought the spike protein was a great tar um, target antigen, we never knew the spike protein itself was a toxin and was a pathogenic protein. There are other legitimate questions about long-term um, long safety there, there is for this vaccine. For example, with it accumulating in the ovaries, one of my questions is, will we be rendering young people infertile? Wow. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, well, this is this is this is always what's lurking in the back of my head. But Johan, 
Yeah, yeah these are these are wonderful news. I mean, yeah, but uh, let's let's just go back a bit. Because, but uh, Corey, if if uh, if you heard that seventy five percent of reported adverse vaccine events are in females in in Canada, I think that's astonishing and very disturbing. And it would be great if you if you could uh, could uh, send us the, the data on that uh, because that's astonishing. And I mean, I'm surprised that the fact checkers deny that Norway has downgraded COVID to flu level because I have a bunch of articles that clearly state that Norway downgraded COVID in September because it was all over the news here in Scandinavia, it's still being discussed in Sweden. And, and now you see Austria is locking down and enforcing vaccinations and, and Germany is on the cusp of implementing mandatory vaccinations because you have you have this public consensus and you have several officials and and major politicians calling for for these kinds of measures quite suddenly i think and and that's going to be a tide very hard to evade for for other other countries and so why the urgency because right Right. All the data shows that there is no real effect on spread. We, we're using a vaccine based on a variant of the virus that was gone since a year ago. It's, it's based on a variant that was predominant in, in early 2020. So, so why? Why is this urgency? Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> um, no, I, I mean, this is the lingering question, and, and it's difficult not to... Um, to to then start speculating in in a in a you know conspiratorial way uh about the what the long-term agenda might be is there a long-term agenda i mean it's very hard to make sense of this without that um hiroyuki i think um uh the first part of what you said, uh, what you, John, said about uh, the situation, um, why uh, we have this concerted efforts, it, I, I think it's a, a lot to do with the fact that um, it's the um, uh, imperial uh, framework uh, acting on the uh, situation. Um, we, we've seen the same um, kind of uh, concerted uh, uh, Phenomenons uh, in economy. We have uh, uh, U.S. dollar as a standard currency, and uh, all the countries uh, obey that. And uh, um, countries like um, uh, Japan, China, they they would uh, 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 um, take care of the U.S. debt. Um, you know the the degree of obedience is uh, uh, pretty um, striking. And yeah. the, uh, the fact that the, uh, all the countries uh, surrounding um, uh, socialist countries are militarized uh, in a way that would uh, compromise lives of the, uh, the populations. We have uh, significant forces of uh, uh, protest oppositions uh, in Okinawa, Japan um, against the uh, militarization of the uh, islands um, because they are really forcing, uh, 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 militarizing uh, their farmlands, uh, sacred sites, and uh, all those things. Um, you would think that people would know that that's a bad thing, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's the uh, imperial decree. Um, there's no um, 
thought process beyond it. It, it, it is, if it's coming from the empire, it's the, uh, the decree. And um, so I think this um, imperial uh, gravity is the driving force. And of course, that's coming from capitalism, the uh, accumulated wealth uh, exerting itself to perpetuate. Mm -hmm. So uh, this basic mechanism is very, very <laughs> important. Um, and uh, it seems to be very, very obvious, but, but we, we just get um, surprised by the, uh, the phenomenal um, obedience uh, the 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 way things are orchestrated so cleanly, and uh, yeah. this is this is the we're looking at empire. I think, basically, no question. I think, um, but okay, uh, Corey. I wanted to quickly go through the um, updated numbers in Canada sh to show you to sh you know to demonstrate how this does not make sense. Um, so I'll try to be quick. Okay, so um, deaths with COVID, with COVID, not from COVID, age zero to 19 years as of November 12th. Okay, this is since it began, 17. Okay, so that number hasn't changed. Actually, I think it includes someone that passed away that, that actually um, the, the health minister of Alberta had to back up and apologize because it wasn't true. And that was in the, in the mainstream mm. media. Um, so anyway, the same age bracket, except for um, it's age 12 to 17, because the um, children have not been vaccinated. And that starts today, age five to 11, which is um, a crime. Anyway, the reported adverse events for age 12 to 17 years, as of the same date, November 12th, 711 okay so 17 yeah 711 so canada prepares for the largest childhood um vaccination campaign since polio right that's all the mainstream media we'll talk about polio later in the show under um emergency use authorization which in canada is called an interim order which was just created in last year in 2020 yet there is no emergency um deaths with covid um Sorry, deaths with COVID, age 20 to 29 years of age, um, 81. Reported vaccine adverse events for the same, for age 18 to 29, 3,014. Okay, and then keep in mind that the COVID numbers, again, um, most of them are with, um, you know, an average of two comorbidities, and lots of them aren't even COVID deaths, and, and the um, tests you know, don't work and everything else goes with it. And not to mention the flu has vanished in Canada, yeah, which was for, which was formerly the top one of the top 10 causes of death in Canada. Okay, so next up, um, age 30 to 39 bracket, deaths with COVID 203, reported adverse events 3,927. Um, 40 to 49 years of age, deaths with COVID, 441 reported vaccine adverse events, 4,600. Um, 50 to 59 deaths, 1,233. And then um, the reported adverse events, 4,665. Um, now keep in, also keep in mind on November 5th of this month, Health Canada, which is um, funded over 90% 
by the pharmaceutical industry, authorized the Moderna booster. So we'll be on the third jab here. Um, and keep in mind on November 9th of this month, Health Canada added an autoimmune disorder to the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccines. And yet they're pushing them harder than ever. Okay, so now if you get here, deaths with COVID 60 to 69, you've got 2,971 deaths. And then on the vaccine adverse events, 3,779. So here they sort of start to um, balance out. And then in the next group, you've got deaths um, far higher for 70, 79, 6,031 with adverse events of 2,239. But if you look at that um, age bracket, now you're looking in Canada, especially, uh, um, you know, what you don't see in the Global South, a lot of people long-term are put in long-term care. And so they're probably, if those people are dying because in your 80s and 90s, um, you know, that's, um, that's when that's people die, do. right? Yeah. That's, when, that's what people do, they <laughs> die. <laughs> the deaths are probably um, just put down as natural deaths, right? And they're, and even if it is a vaccine adverse reaction, they're not going to fill out the paperwork in a privatized clinic. Um, so anyway, of the deaths now, we're around 29,000 deaths with COVID in Canada. Now, almost 16,000 of these, over um, 50%, around 54%, they're all in long-term care. And that's where the deaths um, continue to be. The deaths barely move, but the adverse reactions, when I started tracking them in July, I started when they were 10,167, and now they're over 25,000. And I think by next week, they'll now um, be over the amount of deaths with COVID. And I, I mean, it looks to me like they're just going to explode um, based on, on everything I'm, I'm looking at. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just curious. They're going to start vaccinating children now. And if, um, if the pattern holds and there's a, there's a you know, unacceptably large number of adverse reactions, serious ones, which I think we would all expect to be the case. I'm curious what happens then. I mean, even people, you know, I mean, even the most indoctrinated um, and, and rule following prole cares for his children usually. Mm. But don't remember, John, those people that used to um, be really excited to be chosen when their children were thrown off the top. Yeah, of the yeah, 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 okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, you know, if little Jimmy dies or goes blind or something or has a terminal heart condition, I'm just I'm just curious. But this this begs the question that, that we've talked about before. But not the question exactly, but I'm the you know we've discussed the the preconditions for this this whole project, the this whole kind of corporate coup that's going on, um, and and that has worked so effectively so far to to a large extent uh, because of of uh, a deterioration in. Uh, I think in people's cognitive capacity and in certainly um, they're emotionally damaged. This is all connected to social media and, and 
screen time and all. And that's another topic we should get into today. Um, but but uh, I because it, I think I think that's a that's a key to understanding yeah. the the willingness of yeah. of so many to follow these rules unquestioningly. Uh, Johan. Yeah, I have a good example of that willingness uh, to, to um, I'm going to refer to a, to a Facebook post I, I read, but I just wanted to, to as a comparison with uh, your numbers, Corey, uh, just to mention that up until September 20th of 2021, Sweden had uh, had 76,000 uh, adverse event reports pertaining to the COVID vaccines reported. And 6,000 of these were uh, were serious. As, as a comparison to that, during all of, of 2020, totally you had 8,000 about uh, side effects or adverse event reports regarding every uh, every substance, every medicine in, in used in all of Sweden. So, so that's kind of huge. Uh, I also wanted to mention... Uh, that uh, relate to that article you, you you talked about where you have the the spike proteins in the GI tract of infants and uh, just a shout out to any any listener who's into biomedical research or anything like that uh, feel free to to let us know if if this is a plausible mechanism for the S proteins to enter the bloodstream uh, in other words would consumption of the spike proteins get them into the bloodstream of of uh, a breastfeeding child, for instance. So, so anyway, on that Facebook post, uh, I have this acquaintance, uh, a guy from an internet forum I don't really know personally, and he expressed the, the following, I think, quite interesting sentiment a couple of days ago. And he, he addressed, quote unquote, anyone in a circle of friends who's actively chosen not to get the jab and in some kind of, kind of like triumphant, condescending tone stated that he's fully vaccinated and he will accept a third dose as soon as he's offered it and every subsequent dose, even if it turns out he will have to take them on an annual basis. And he then goes on to state that he doesn't know what's in these uh, medications, just like he doesn't know what's in any other kind of common medication. He just knows that they work. He has no idea what's in his hygiene products or what the effects of, of long-term cell phone use are, etc. He'll never know this and he's not going to question any of it because he trusts science. But there is one thing that he does know, however, that this, uh, this kind of manifesto of the, the useful idiot continues, and that is that life is short and that he doesn't want to be locked inside his house or suffer any travel-related inconveniences in the future and so on. He wants to, to shake people's hands and hug them without any fear. He wants to protect us all, you know, all that and live his life as he used to. And that's why he will take his shot and why you should too. And I can't argue with any of that. I, I have no idea how to, to address this kind of willful ignorance in people. And I think it, it's extremely, extremely dangerous because you can't have any kind of, of, of self-governing system with this kind of attitude, with this kind of, of personality type. Um, yeah, I, I I have certainly run into those people here, and uh, but but a friend of mine, an actor who, who um, I speak with regularly, actually he's Canadian, but anyway, um, uh, but he works in the U.S. a lot, and um, he's he has had conversations. He said to me, he said I've had conversations with a number of colleagues, a number of people that 
that have been vaccinated, who believe in the essential story, the COVID narrative, there's a hugely dangerous virus and they're terrified about it. He said, and I've had very good conversations with people who listened and maybe a couple were even persuaded that there is something very wrong with the, the whole story. He said, but what was stunning, he found, was the degree of ignorance these people. They didn't know any of the dissenting um, opinions of, of doctors. They didn't know there were any dissenting doctors uh, or, or groups. They didn't know about massive protests in Zagreb or, or you know, across Italy or, you know, uh, many places in the world. He, they had no idea. And, and I think this just underscores something that is pretty self-evident, but perhaps needs repeating, uh, is just how completely media is owned. Um, Gates just donated a whole lot of money um, and, and to, you know, about 80 different media sites, outlets, corporations. Uh, and, and they have disappeared dissent. I mean, it's invisible unless you look for it. We all, you know, we're people who know where to look and we dig up things and we have a network of friends who are journalists and, and thinkers and, and radicals of one form or another. And we might argue with them, but they all uh, basically get the problem that, that there's something going on. They understand the great reset was, was a real thing. It, hiding in plain sight um and he said but most people don't you know they they watch the evening news if they watch that and uh and so since i had that conversation with him i have i have gone and kind of as a as an experiment looked at um the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the LA Times, the New York Times, MSNBC, CNN, etc., uh, and and kind of read the headlines, scanned the updates on you know COVID, uh, and yeah, I can see why they think the way they think. Um, it's you know it's breathtaking, and the other thing that's happening is. These massive protests are getting so big in the Netherlands where, you know, people were shot um, and, and in Australia and uh, Croatia and France and Germany, but especially uh, Austria, these protests in the Netherlands, these protests are getting really large and confrontational. So the media can't completely disappear them. So now you see them spinning these protests. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they are right-wing protests, crazy anti-vaxxer right-wing protests. Um, you know, uh, three quarters of a million people on the streets in Melbourne. That's a lot of anti-vaxxer crazies, but, you know, never mind. Uh, and I saw a very representative headline in a Norwegian paper covering the protests in Rotterdam that uh, were described in, in the headline as an orgy of violence. <laughs> and I thought, no, you know, 
CIA death squads in El Salvador were an orgy of violence. This was like, and they said in the article, police were forced to fire warning shots. That was their definition of an orgy of violence. Mm. Uh, so it's getting spun. Mm. Crazy, violent, right-wing, Trump-supporting, uh, neo-Nazi, skinhead nationalists, uh, uh, and those crazy anti-vaxxers. Uh, and, and, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty certain that the majority of people protesting on the streets of Zagreb <laughs> And that their children are vaccinated, just as my children are vaccinated, you know, not with this fucking vaccine, but, you know, there I have I'm not anti-vax and I'm almost certain 90 percent of the people out there are not inherently anti-vax. Uh, nobody trusts this and they hugely distrust the coercive tactics of the state. Mm. Um, that are that are being applied here, and I think there are people that recognize that aspect and don't like it, and and, and I think it frightens them. And I heard a report that a lot of the people protesting were being interviewed. They said, "We don't want to die. We don't want to get this shot and die." And so you know, adverse reaction. Yeah, but I mean, a day doesn't pass where you don't see a headline, oh, 27-year-old triathlete, you know, Bill Simpson found dead suddenly in his apartment. Our condolences, I mean, that's all this. But I mean, there's, there's just a roll call of these over the last few weeks, uh, you know, and, and many athletes from Marvin Hagler to, uh, to that Norwegian runner who didn't die, the gold medalist, uh, but but couldn't train for six months after he got his vaccination. So, uh, you know, a lot of people a lot of people recognize that. Uh, anyway, uh, Johan. Yeah, yeah I, I saw a headline as well today, and, and it's I mean it's exactly as you say they they haven't mentioned these protests at all. It's been silent for, for I mean many months and now when it's finally it's, it's finally large enough to 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 not be ignored anymore it's getting framed as some kind of threat to democracy it was the same thing with the rotterdam protests it was a headline today it, maybe it's coordinated maybe it's like emergent but they described them as an echo of january meaning that i mean the lockdown protests are kind of thematically relate, related to the the purported coup d'etat in the u.s in the beginning of 2021 Right. So, so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's astonishing and it's really devious. So, I mean, we have we have we are living with the fact that that and it has to just be repeated and pointed out uh, all the time, constantly reiterated that the media yeah. is utterly uh, unreliable. The media is bought and paid for, and they are an organ of propaganda for the state and all of these unelected jillionaires. Mm. Corey. Uh, it's just so much bullshit. I mean, there are so many countries, Congo and Haiti have like zero, no vaccination at all against COVID, or at least they didn't um, as of back in July, they had nothing. And there's tons and tons of countries still that have no no vaccines at all. Um, there, I mean, Niger, Cameroon, Yemen, Papua New Guinea, Mali, Syria, South Sudan, Benin, um, Chad, they're all under 1%. They, why aren't they all dead, right? 
Why aren't they all dead yeah. then? Right. I mean, it's just so much bullshit that I'm just so, I'm so fucking sick of it. <laughs> I'm just going to like, it's so stupid. They act like we've all been exposed to all these other coronaviruses our you know, our whole life for other ones. And now we've reached, they tried to tell us that we have no cross immunity to any of this. I mean, it's, it's just re- absolutely insane. And I, I can't believe at this point in time, if you still are going along and, and can't see it, I mean, wow, I really feel sorry for you. I, I mean, wow, you're just hopeless, right? Completely indoctrinated at this point. I mean, it, to me, it's just so blatant. It's so apparent. Um, these corporations and these governments, you know, I know we, we just keep saying the same thing really, but they've never cared about our health. They don't care about, I mean, what are they going to bring vaccines to Yemen in between bombing them? I mean, you know, are they going to bring vaccines to Haiti in between, you know, dumping cholera there, you know, like it's just, um, completely insane. No, it's interesting because, you know, in simultaneous with all this and one doesn't know really which is serving as a distraction for which but you know the u.s continues to provoke russia um with with the the migrant uh stroke refugee crisis on the border with poland and belarus you know belarus predictably is being demonized because um they want a color revolution there they've already tried once and failed uh, and and then Ukraine, where, of course, the U.S. already orchestrated a coup and installed an openly Nazi party in power there. Russia has 2,000 open war crimes cases against that regime uh, in Kiev that will never go anywhere because international legal institutions are owned by the West. But uh, uh, in the Western media, this is all all being written about as if it's Russian provocation. You know, the U S has got all, all of this military equipment, NATO equipment, NATO forces surrounding hundreds of miles from the border of Russia, but it's Russia that is provoking things. You know, again, the level of stupid involved is, is hard to grasp. I try to tell people, you know, like, you just can't, these stories, I mean, what, don't you remember Vietnam? Do you not remember the war in Iraq? Do you not remember any of these narratives? What the U.S. did in, in Central America, in Haiti, in Syria? I mean, mm. what is wrong with you? Why do you trust them now? Why, why do you think, you know, uh, any, of, any of these national political figures in the United States are telling the truth about anything. Mm. You know, it just it boggles my mind. Uh, Hiroyuki. Well, I, I think um, all those are sort of connected in the, uh, the, the, the whole dynamics of um, uh, manipulation and the control. Um, the, like the, uh, the fact that the uh, uh, the medical institution is being the way it is, uh, people would question things. And uh, um, at the end, if the institution is destroyed, people are not going to have access to what they need. Um, and it's going to uh, reinforce more privatization 
uh, corporatization because uh, people don't care, you know. Uh, same thing can be said about the media. Uh, media is corrupt. They are lying all the time. People are not going to trust. Then they're going to start to say that we are living in this uh, uh, post-truth. Um, and that's what they did. But um, that's, that's what we get at the end. And the same thing about uh, political institution, uh, educational institution, uh, art institution, of course, um, all these things. And at the end, um, who's going to benefit? The benefit, the, 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 you know, it, it's going to be the ruling class, which is going to be being paid by this destruction of institutions. So it's a tricky, it's very, very tricky. I'm glad you mentioned um, <clears throat> class, uh, because that, that makes for an elegant of sorts segue uh, in, into something else I wanted to touch on. Uh, uh, and, and this is, you know, I know a lot of people who um, have been critical of the COVID story, have done actually admirable uh, journalistic work, uh, pointing out the holes in the story and, and rejecting uh, the, the lockdowns, the passports, the vaccine, have been questioning, and, and they're great. Um, and and as somebody said, no fighting in the war room, you know, so I don't want to. So I tend not to criticize them when when they hold opinions I disagree with on other matters. But it does get to a point um, where, uh, you know, Marcuse had this idea about repressive tolerance. Um, there is a point at which you can't. You know, when somebody who disagrees, for example, this is a crude example, but if somebody disagrees with the lockdowns, the COVID story, the whole thing, they don't want to be vaccinated, et cetera. Um, and they claim because I had the Great Reset, they go, right, the Great Reset, that's behind it. That's one of the engines behind it. And I don't want to get into this world communism plot. Uh, and then it's like, how far do you tolerate that? You know, <laughs> because because that's very problematic. Soon that becomes problematic in terms of resistance and, and activism and everything else. Um, and and these are these mems, these tropes that um, I'm finding have gained traction in social media. And I am loath to give social media too much importance because um, that's a dangerous um, assumption or something. But, but at the same time, I don't want to give it too little importance. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but, but these tropes are, and we mentioned this before, you know, communism is the same as, as fascism. Hitler and Stalin, same, same. Uh, they usually use the word totalitarian which, as Enzo Traverso pointed out, has come to mean an enemy of the West. So when you say totalitarian, you mean somebody who is an enemy of us, of the West, regardless of what they are, who they are, history, nothing. Uh, and that reinforces the status quo by default, right? Uh, 
that's one of the tropes. The other one is a kind of decided anti-Marxism. Somebody said to me the other day in a in a ongoing email thread with many other people said, well, well, you know, the one thing we know is that Marxists are useless. They know nothing about banks or money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like the punchline to a joke, right? I know. Um, and and yet there you are. Uh, and so that the anti-Marxist trope and this functions a little bit like anti-Freudianism, too. Uh, which is also reflexive and kind of knee-jerk. Um, but the anti-Marxism is usually uh, a product of people who, often young people, um, perhaps sort of half-educated, uh, because I don't think anybody who had any kind of decent education would say that, but, um, but I could be wrong. Uh, and I don't even know what I mean when I say that. Um, but usually people who are sort of besotted with technology, who are who fetishize the technology they're criticizing. And a lot of people are suspicious of, you know, um, you know, 5G digital currency, you know, the 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 entire blockchain, block, all of these things that um, are being pushed by Schwab and these people. And we see the front edges here in Norway, certainly Sweden has seen it. Um, as critical as they are of these things, I always feel very slightly like um, they're intoxicated with with. Mm -hmm with that the technology that they criticize in the same way in the same it's not really the same but you know pasolini made that film about fascism and the, the, the sexual repression uh, solo right um which is a masterpiece and i'm not criticizing pasolini but but you you could see and he would probably say this his intoxication with with the eroticism of fascism hmm. um Salo was a little too appealing. Finally, you know, um, you it becomes it becomes a, a form of pornography in a sense. Anyway, Corey, maybe the reason for that, um, you know, for for the lapse of judgment and you know that sort of skewed, um, you know, ideology around Marx and class, and that is because of the current education structure. Right. So anyway, I want to, I want to, I came across this to this morning, actually, I had a podcast on or a video. I was listening to it. I was cleaning the house. I think Hiroyuki got me onto this person, but I'm not sure when you guys on um, Costa's Lapa Vitsas. I'm not sure if I'm seeing the same right professor of economics. And this right. is from, this is from um, just a few months ago. The importance is this, the nation state remains incredibly powerful and it is the pivot of contemporary capitalism, neoliberalism, neoliberalism and financialization, which, which have dominated the world for 40 years, rely completely on the nation state. The nation state is phenomenally powerful. It's not true that the state has gone away. The state simply has changed the way it operates and it defends the interests of capital in particular ways. It's choices that the state makes class-based, class-driven choices. It decides to do certain things or not to do certain things, depending on the class interests involved. And that becomes very clear in the corona um, crisis. 
When they had to intervene, they intervened right against all the neoliberal ideologies that we've lived through for uh, many years. So that is of crucial importance. And when it comes to demanding other action, other measures on the part of the left or by the left, we should bear that in mind that it is perfectly possible. There's nothing, you know, it's a matter of choice. It's perfectly possible to have different policies, policies that defend working class people, um, defend the interests of the poor. If you look at the left, much of the left, the dominant ideology and the dominant politics of the left is basically identitarian, or sorry, ident, ident, oh God, identitarian, not search. Yeah. I okay. know what you mean. Yeah. Okay. That, I don't say that very often, and I have no friends anymore to say to talk to. Okay. <laughs> the, the, left, it's, the left, it's turned, it's become a totality that looks at identity in some of its aspects, not in all of its aspects, but in some of its aspects as the crucial thing, the fundamental thing. Identity is the crucial divining principle of modern society, and identity can mean gender, sexual preference, race, and so on. For much of the left, politics, radical politics, politics of liberation have come to revolve around identitarianism. In interestingly enough, among those identities, the left does, doesn't like to include class, certainly not class. Among the identities, it doesn't like to include, for instance, national identity. That's a bad identity, but it is as much as an, um, you know, and it's thought of as a bad identity, but it is as much as an identity as other identities. So somehow there is a hierarchy of identity. Some are good, some are bad. Some are okay for radical politics. Some are by definition not okay for radical politics. And so that's very, that's contradicti contradictory and not very sound as a foundation for radical politics. Class is the key thing. And class has dropped out of the equation for much of the left in ideological terms. And so when you look at it in that way, you begin to understand. To me, it's clear across much of Europe and the United States, the left has stopped participating in the life of the poor, of the working people, the downtrodden, the excluded. It stopped, it has stopped looking like the social strata. It has stopped being of them. The left has historically been the political expression of the poorest, the workers, the oppressed, the downtrodden. Well, that's not the case anymore. And much of that has to do with the identitarian politics. The more you talk about identity and so on, the less connected you end up being with rural working class strata and popular strata too. The answer to me much be, must be sorting that direction. We need to reconnect, reconnect with the poor, reconnect with the workers, reconnect with the downtrodden. The demands are enormous. Inequality is huge. There are social pressures which are gigantic today and we must reconnect. We must start understanding people in that way. And if they don't speak the, light, the right language, if they don't use the right pronouns, if they sound at times not particularly sophisticated when it comes to certain expressions, that's what people are. You've got to work with them. You've got to be part of it. You've got to take it from where it is if you want to make it better. Um, and so anyway, That's like great. when, yeah, That's when I was reading this, I, I realized we're, we are where we are because the left has abandoned completely the working class. And that's, you know, why Trump was able to, you know, the right, the far right, um, Trump was able to make so much headway. And so when the left blames Trump, Instead, they're not accepting responsibility, right, for losing their way. 
and they're not learning from it. And so until we learn from it and turn this around, you know, um, well, I, th- if I, I don't want to mean to interrupt you. No, but, I'm done. But but that, that Hiro, Yuki and I both, I think I sent that actually, that article to you, Hiroyuki, when we were talking about financialization um, or something by that guy. But anyway, the what he says about class uh, identity, it never includes class. And I think there's a reason for that, that some are good and some are bad. Uh, you know, I saw somebody's Twitter thing today. I just looked up who they are uh, and they self-described as, as a trans woman activist. Oh, fuck. And I forget something else. And I thought in a weird way, that doesn't tell me that much. Right. That, that um, because it's a historical, if somebody said I'm a Slovakian descent, working class, former Teamster, now, you know, activist. History is somehow included in that in a different way. Um, and so the, the, there, people don't want to, they don't talk in historical terms ever it seems um, they, they don't know history or, or they just, it makes them uncomfortable or it's how they have been taught. And so identity is always kind of branded. It's various yeah, yeah. self branding and it's not, it's never class related. And when I see somebody mention class, I'm always struck by it um, because, because it, it, it's so significant. And this is the problem with the, the tech critics too, you know, who, you know, many of whom are very good and, and do a great service in terms of um, explaining uh, the, the digitalization of everything and the, you know, enclosing the world in various forms of metaverse and whatever. Um, but, but the feeling I get is that they are writing as if this stuff fell from outer space yesterday, mm-hmm. that, that, that there is no historical precedent and no historical critique is meaningful when applied to this because it just arrived yesterday from outer space. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and, and of course that's not true. And, uh, and, and I always I always mention this, but, but, you know, the world's more proletarianized than ever. And uh, most of the world subsists on like a dollar a day and does, you know, incredible. I mean, just a really perhaps banal example. I, I was watching for some reason, a sort of our documentary on um, um, a mountain climbing expedition in the, um, uh, Himalayas, I guess, in the Karakam range, on to K2, the very dangerous mountain to climb. And uh, they were going low. It was a bunch of like white people and some South American woman. I don't know. They were fine. Uh, but at one point, the porters entered the story, you know, and I thought, huh, who are these porters? And the porters are the mountain people and live in, you know, India, Tibet, up there. They live very high, you know 
much higher than you and I could survive at. And they, they're like Sherpas, right? They carry the shit up to the base camp and then up to the next base camp. And they get paid, you know, not very well for doing this. Um, and none of them, they just, they're walking in their street clothes. <laughs> I mean, they've got no fancy, you know, Parkinson or supplemental oxygen attached to their, you know, nothing. They're just, they're just schlepping the stuff up the mountain. And I thought this is, this is a metaphor. This is a parable about white people in the West, the affluent hot bourgeoisie talking about anything, you know, the porters are invisible. And they're doing far more with greater skill than the principles themselves. And I mean, this would segue into the Rittenhouse, you know, verdict too, but we can hold off on that for a minute. Yeah, Johan. Yeah, so, so I mean, the fact that the, the world is increasingly proletarianized, I would say that's related to the fact that, that class and, and um, maybe in some sense, most of our actual tangible relations have been replaced by brand identities. But I don't, I don't think that all of these identities are necessarily politically inert and that they on some occasions maybe can be can be salvaged or, or be made to, to guide people in the correct or the right direction or constructive or fruitful direction. Uh, I just wanted to mention how I how I grew up in a in a subcultural setting or grew up. It was during my teenage years and I have been thinking about how how implicitly political all of that was. I could go on about that in, in detail some other time, but I think the main point I would like to make was that all of us got together due, due to this kind of deep dissatisfaction with the, the surrounding culture and due to the fact that the, the, the subculture gave us these, these resources to reflect upon this situation and to actually in some way reclaim the spaces within ourselves and on the outside that we felt were more or less colonized by a kind of extraneous force that wanted to mold and, and shape us into something foreign to us, something that we would not choose ourselves. And I think that the content of the subculture was important, but I think the main thing was that we ourselves actually made its, its themes and aesthetics into our own and that we used them to carve out a space for resisting alienation in a, in a concrete fundamental sense. Yeah, I think, I think we, God, we return to that topic a lot, you know, because I think it's so important. Um, the, the loss of a subculture and, you know, I, I posted something on social media the other day about where are all the radical artists uh, somebody else had done it too. Say so what you know, artists. The, all the artists I know, uh, save for one or two, are posting like I got my Fauci ouchie. You know, <laughs> um, they proudly display like much of the left. You know, and being vaccinated. We're saying we just got to get more of this vaccine to the third world. It's it's vaccine imperialism. You know. Um, and you just want your head explodes. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say to people about that, except sounds like Africa's doing fine without your vaccines, as a matter of actual fact. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the social space has been colonized. You know, public space has been colonized. Um, 
there is less and less unrestricted public space. Certainly in the United States, that's true in urban areas and cities. Mike Davis wrote about that, you know, 40 years ago now. Um, and that's a book that I highly recommend to people, um, City of Courts, his kind of um, history of Los Angeles, uh, is a remarkable book. And, uh, and I'm a footnote in it, uh, which I always was very proud of. But anyway, but he talks about the dehumanizing of the city, you know, the segregation, the way freeway, freeways were built to to keep the poor in one quadrant and the rich affluent areas free from the poor spilling into their area somehow. And all the way down to making park benches impossible for bums to sleep on, right? Yeah. Uh, so they were curved or they had spikes or they put spikes under the underpass where the homeless slept. Um, humane things like that. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's, so it's a great book and it's a very prescient book. Uh, but we see that we see that by extension now. And of course, the advent of the Internet accelerated all of this. People simply stay home and uh, uh, the, the audience. I mean, I know that in the 1940s, after the war, people far fewer people went to the movies because they had moved to the suburbs. So white flight to the suburbs mm -hmm. and it was harder and longer and they had kids. And so they stopped going to the movies. Um, then with the advent of streaming sites and Netflix and these things, um, that was the final nail in the coffin in it. Um, it signaled the end of, of film as art, certainly. Um, in in um, in the United States, anyway. Um, okay, uh, Corey. Okay, so yeah, I just want to say the reason I sound so harsh and impatient today is just because of all the like really dark, horrible research I've been doing over the past week. So yeah, my apologies if I'm if I'm a bitch. Okay, and um, my apologies for swearing as well. I just can't. You don't sound harsh. Okay, <laughs> so I have to get this in because it's so crazy. Um. I'll post a link. We can post a link on the podcast. So, oh my God, someone replied to one of my threads I did on those updates that I read on the um, deaths with COVID versus the adverse reactions in children. And anyway, she said, yeah, you know, why is this happening? No emergency here either. And yet we have the new um, NOPV2 vaccine to all the young kids in um, Gambia. Africa. And I was like, what, what, you know, the NOPV2 vaccine, what's that? So I started digging into that. And I, I, I mean, this is a real scandal. So November 13, 2020, um, headline from the, the World Health Organization, first ever vaccine listed under who emergency use. And so this emergency use vaccine is in response to polio outbreaks caused by polio vaccines. Okay, and it's a huge emergency in Africa. So November 13th, um, 20, sorry, 2020, who today listed the NOPV2 vaccine for emergency use to address rising cases of a vaccine-derived polio strain in a number of African and East Mediterranean countries. Okay, and so, um, it, so this is the oral polio vaccine. 
And we stopped using those in um, the US and Canada and all the wealthy countries decades ago, but in all the poor countries, all the impoverished countries, war-torn countries, they still give this oral polio um, vaccine. And, you know, to me, I, I already knew this from, um, you know, that one really good article on Wrong Kind of Green written by the Filipino doctor about um, vaccines as a weapon of as the weapon of imperialism. Um, you know, that any um, a face of an angel, but the soul of the beast, something like that, he says. Anyway, it's a really powerful article. We'll link to that too. Um, so the emergent, so they go on to say um, the emergency use listing or EUL is the first of its kind for vaccines, and it paves the way for potential listing COVID-19 vaccines. Okay, and then um, I found on CBC in the old archive from 44 years ago, from 1977, Jonas Salk, and he quotes in this interview, I think it's the only interview he ever did. We have known now since 1961 in the US and prior to that in other countries that the live virus vaccine for polio does cause the disease itself. Um, so then, um, where am I going from this? So then if you jump back, oh, sorry. Okay, so then this year in February, um, statement of the 27th Polio IHR Emergency Committee, okay, the phase replacement during 2021 of the, of the Savin OPV2 with novel OPV2. Um, so the, the modified this oral um, vaccine is expected to reduce the you know this new emerging polio and so you know we have now a pandemic of the vaccinated children I mean this this was already bad but now it's um really getting out of control and I mean no as always no one here even knows about it so the NOPV2 polio vaccine is derived from the live infectious virus but it has been triple locked using genetic engineering since the launch in March of this year, approximately 100 million doses have been administered to children across seven countries. And who are the partners in this initiative? UNICEF, yeah. World Health Organization, um, Gavi, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, and you know, then if you jump back to a, a paper that was just speaking to the hundreds of thousands of deaths um, that happened since, you know, the quote unquote pandemic um, to women and children because of the lockdowns, not because of the virus, because the lockdowns rate in that paper, it, you know, references that 3 billion um, people worldwide lack basic hand washing facilities, the most effective method for COVID-19 prevention or any other um, sickness. So we, you know, I just say, let them eat vaccines. We can't give people mm. basic soap, water, sanitation, but we can, you know, pump out these vaccines all over the world. Now I'm almost done. And if you go back, this is really important. If you go back to March 16th, 2019, you have the aligning for impact, the transformation of the who. One of the biggest issues facing global health today is the planning for the eventual wind down of the billion dollar a year global polio eradication initiative after the certification of eradication. And now what do you have? A whole new, you know, um, a whole new outbreak of polio all across Africa, Mediterranean. There's a list of about 20 countries. Yeah. Uh... Unbelievable. 
It is. I'm waiting for the new smallpox outbreak um, that Gates owns the vaccine for. Um, Hiroyuki? Oh, Hiroyuki's hand is up, but he's not there. Yeah, I, I'm here. I'm here. I'm sorry. Okay. My, my uh, microphone was uh, muted. Um, so uh, I wanted to add a little bit uh, to what uh, uh, Johan was saying and also uh, uh, on what uh, Corey just stated. Uh, I think it is important to uh, remind ourselves that the uh, uh, the what he said about subculture and uh, uh, social relations based on real interaction of people's need in this uh, setting uh, in which people are um, treating each other with their actual uh, being, needs, and environment. This is the, uh, the core of uh, uh, what human humane uh, relationship is and um, uh, so when we talk about identity politics uh, I think it comes down to the fact the problem comes down to the fact that the uh, uh, amendment of an equal situation is done based on the uh, imperatives of uh, imperial uh, framework so um, the, the good example, of course, is the, uh, the fact that the, uh, uh, um, the poor people um, are in trouble because they don't have vaccines, not because they are poor, not because they, have they don't have access to uh, medical situations um, and those things. It's the, um, the framework of the empire that's um pushed forward and so when we talk about um, um equality racism um we have to have more uh minority politicians or we should grant um uh equal um uh, uh, uh marriage uh situation to the um uh, uh, uh those people who are not uh, men or women. Um, so it all uh, operate within this um, conditions of uh, what the authority is um, uh, imposing. Mm -hmm. So the result is actually pretty sinister because the fact that we are um, encouraging that kind of modification to the society means it is by those acts, the structure is reinforced mm -hmm. as legitimate and more functional because it's gonna uh, be kind and gentler to minorities or um, uh, women, um, and um, and so on. So uh, this is really um, uh, something we should um, keep in mind. And uh, also, when we talk about the uh, um, the the situation with the vaccines, it, it, it's it's really important that uh, what I mean, it's a common sense thing. You know, we we see all the problems uh, with the. Uh, um, um, what's being imposed, uh, the limitation of treatments, 
um, introduction of uh, treatments that are killing people um, um, and, you know, including uh, ventilator uh, vaccine and so on, uh, so on. And so, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, again, we're dealing with this uh, uh, invisible framework, uh, mm. which is doing more harm than uh, good. Um, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I just got, see, I'm having technical problems here. Okay, I'm back. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, but, but this is, this is, this leads back again to, um, to, to the, the nature of, um, of resistance and, and how people are going to, uh, uh, navigate these rules. I mean, massive protests. Yes, they have been massive. Uh, define massive. I don't know, but we're still talking. Uh, you know, what percentage of the population of Austria was on the streets in um, Vienna? Not that many. As protests go, it was a very, very big protest. Well, I think and, I think it, it also relates to the fact that the. Uh, uh, protests and uh, um, opinions one way or the other is always uh, pushed into this framework yeah. of uh, right. acceptable corporate uh, politics. So the more we engage with those things, uh, it will uh, reinforce the uh, uh, political system and we don't see any results. So, you know, it's, it's really important that the uh, the the those things should be framed according to what we need and this is really difficult because people well, are you know yeah look the, the i think the 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 um what i started to say was that so so still there's a lot of people who are not on the streets and so we don't know exactly um <clears throat> how many people reject this or not and it doesn't matter but if like what we are doing with this podcast and we are talking about in our own individual pieces and Corey's blog and my blog and the writing that Johan does, you do hero, you can, uh, could be broadly spoken of as education in some way. We are trying to educate people and alert people to think. And this goes back to this conundrum that I have uh, because I mean, we were, you know, aesthetic resistance uh, was, was, uh, called fascists we were called fascists and nazis last week on social media yeah i mean go figure but um but that's what happens social media you know is 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 home to a lot of unbalanced people and we all know that and trolls are everywhere and psyops are everywhere and this is all absolutely true but but you know there are real questions about people's rejection of this when they think they're rejecting world communism or they think that um you know i don't know that we can we can do this but you know we got to keep all that marxist nonsense out of it and and their critique is really not very good they arrive at a more or less correct you know position um in terms of we don't want a lockdown and we don't want that and i don't want to you know no fighting in the war room. And somebody said, "Yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to 
yuck their yum. You know, I don't want to kill the buzz in the room. I mean, fine, let's do it. But there is a problem there, you know, and at some point that problem will resurface uh, because those positions are not conducive to social transformation. They're just not. And, and if what we're doing is education, I'm not an activist, I'm a writer. And, and, and um, uh, I write about things and I hope I educate people and I write theater and stuff too. I'm not, I'm not on the streets and, and I've never been prone to doing that anyway. But although I would for this, if there were an opportunity, but, but, but there is a, you know, Adorno talked about this empty activism can be really counterproductive, even if you're ostensibly on the same side. Corey. Yeah, I have to actually really clarify something that I that I said. So when I was talking about the flu and opera, about this huge emergency and that, like it has to be clarified, like the huge emergency, we don't actually know what that is, what numbers those are about those cases. It's like the huge COVID emergency. What does that actually mean? What it means is that's the lever, right? To let out these experimental drugs onto people. And in this um, way, the same um, the same thing. So I'm not saying, I mean, um, outbreaks of polio from the live, um, from the vaccines has been happening for a long time now. Um, to what extent? We're not really sure because now what we have is them exploiting that very thing that they created, right? And now saying, oh, emergency, emergency. Um, there's like 28 countries that they cite where this um, genetically engineered super vaccine is going to be rolled out um, because um, the, same, the same person that um, actually brought it to my attention, she's, she actually said that Gam Gambia hasn't had an actual human case since the 1980s, but suddenly there's a positive environmental sample in the sewage and that's enough to call an outbreak as per who in a public emergency, right? So we have to be really careful here. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Johan? Yeah, yes, uh, in relation to what you said, John, you, you see people arrive at more or less correct conclusions, yet they get tangled into this enemy image projected onto communism, and they end up reinforcing official ideology anyhow. But I, I just wanted to pile on to, to what Corey said just, just now and, and <clears throat> a few moments back, because you, you clearly see that, that people are dying, but not mainly from, from COVID. And I just wanted to remind you all that in early summer of 2020, which is when, when after most of the purported COVID death toll was, was like passed, an assessment was made that lockdowns had already killed more people uh, than COVID, especially in the developing world. And now, 15 months later, do you, do you think that this number has changed? I mean, it's it's probably uh, even worse, I would guess. And also, <clears throat> that, that, that people aren't really dying of COVID in the developing world. Nigeria is a very good example. And I would like to see an attempt at an explanation of their numbers from within the official narrative. Because they have about 4.3% of its population vaccinated and the country holds 211 million people and they've had like 3000 deaths and you can argue that okay maybe they have a young population but that still doesn't square even even if the average age were like four it, it wouldn't make sense right right it's 2974 johan yeah 2974 
That's what I get. One one person died today, apparently. Um, no, it's it's remarkable, and and um, but I want to just go back briefly to to these questions of fertility, and because we know the birth rate globally has has fallen off a cliff. I mean, it's it's declined drastically, and there's all kinds of concerns about. Um, about not enough babies being born, especially um, in certain countries, in Europe and, and certain places, Scandinavia is one of them. Uh, and yes, there are economic reasons for this. There are social, cultural evolution uh, has, has created um, certain things that are political and economic uh, causes that I mean, in the United States, you can't afford to have a baby. Healthcare is so expensive. And there's no universal health care, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things, but but the main reason is that people are going infertile. That's the actual reason. So this is this always goes back to my most paranoid fantasies about this thing. We have people who have openly said they believe depopulation is crucial. You know, Bill Gates, Prince Charles, these are people that, you know, absolutely uh, believe that there are too many people and something has to be done about it. Uh, and since they are, you know, part of the driving force behind this, presumably, they seem to be, uh, you know, I wonder, I, I mean, I do wonder, but, but of course people could, could, um, may solve it all by themselves because the world is so toxic and there's so much pollution and, and people ingest so many chemicals and plastics and, um, pollutants that that it would affect uh fertility all by itself i think that as somebody pointed out that that we are looking at a the the preconditions for the acceptance of this story is a heavily indoctrinated population but it's also a psychologically unhealthy population mm -hmm. um a, a hugely depressed population one in four americans have been prescribed antidepressants uh, massive amounts of antidepressants are taken by by average Americans. It's kind of like the elephant in the room in a sense. I mean, nobody talks about it, but, but talks about what kind of society needs that. You know, what what kind of system do you live in that you that that you can't get through the day without without chemically you know now okay you know i should talk but um but but you know the working class has always relied on on tobacco and nicotine beetle nut and and um you know got and all of these things that they chew and eat and that are usually stimulant depressive combinations um to make their toil more endurable um, but the but the largest consumer of antidepressants is a white collar educated white thirty percent, mm -hmm. and uh, that I'm so fond of of, of pointing out. Um, these are the people who are the most depressed, and um, I don't know. Make of that what you will. 
but but I think I think that it it can't be overstated that that Western society is just extraordinarily irrational at this point, and um, uh, uh, and people feel that, and so on top of that comes this this pandemic that is that they are encouraged to to participate in as as a new class of of acolyte or something it's a ritual and they can virtue signal and feel purposeful and devout and so they do and and it breeds animosity it's very easy to 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 take that stimulate their animosity and direct it to the unvaccinated the new unclean i wouldn't find it at all surprising if pogroms uh, begin against the unvaccinated i mean it wouldn't surprise me at all johan yeah you said something earlier today i think that that uh, i kind of stuck with that it's not entirely incomprehensible that if people were told in, in a few years from now that all oh, these vaccines have actually drastically reduced fertility, but, but it's a good thing because, you know, the, the planet's in dire straits and we need to reduce population. It's not inconceivable that a lot of people would actually accept this as a, as a great. Truth. I think, I think, I think if Bill Gates gave a press conference, went on, you know, 60 minutes next week mm. and said, you know, I probably should have told you this before, but, <laughs> but yeah, you, 80% of women who get vaccinated will be infertile, but look at the up, upside here. We knew we had to decrease the population and we're doing it. And these people are, you know, can look at themselves as the warriors on the front lines yeah. of saving the planet. And a lot of people would buy that. Yeah. I think, it depresses me to say this, but a lot of people would go, yeah, okay. Yes, you should have told us, Bill, but, you know, I understand why you didn't. Yeah. Well, um, he could be always a fall guy. He could be, you know, scapegoated. Yeah, yeah. Could throw him under the Jeffrey Epstein bus. Right, um, right. You know, who knows? Um, final thoughts. I wanted to just mention... Um, the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, yeah. because on the one hand, it's very easy to say, well, okay, this is a distraction. It's not important. And yeah, of course it's not, but trials that get national attention, um, murder trials, uh, always have some cultural importance. And I only started paying attention at all because I was reading people's comments about it um, on on various social media sites and and, and and article newspapers even and I was shocked right um, white people apparently are never going to confront racism their own racism their own privilege they're just apparently never going to get it because people said to me Come on, this is just a story of an innocent kid, and we got justice for once. He wasn't railroad, you know. He didn't deserve a a, a, a murder conviction, a first degree murder conviction. What are, What are you upset about? You're trying to, and you're race baiting. You're trying to say this is about race. He was white, and the victims were white, and so I said, yeah. 
there is no trial, no criminal trial that ever takes place, no, no murder case that ever takes place in the United States that's not about race. It doesn't matter if everybody involved is white, it's about race. Because this was a slave-owning society that, in which 12 presidents owned and worked slaves. That slave trade lasted 350 years. It built the United States. The plantation system that existed was far more horrific than you have ever been told. And then we have Jim Crow, and now we have a prison system uh, in, you know, hugely disproportionate. Uh, white cops are five times more likely than black cops to shoot civilians in black neighborhoods. Uh, I could go on with statistics. They're, they're endless, the disproportionate punishment of poor black communities. Because, and I've been shocked at people that I know whose opinions I respect. I don't know them. They're on social media. And, and to hear them comment on this, it's like, it's like a, a blind spot for so many white people, especially, I think, maybe over the age of 40. They, they're terrified. You know, this one woman, I thought, you're, 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 you don't want to drive into a neighborhood with black teenagers, do you? You know, that's like your worst nightmare. Take the wrong off ramp. Um, and that's why Hollywood makes movies about that. That's the new boogeyman. Um, and, 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 it, and so I said, you, you're looking at this fucking petulant little arrogant prick, Kyle Rittenhouse with his assault rifle, you know, and his cap turned backwards, jogging down the street. Who does that? I mean, in what normal world does anybody do that? That's not provocative. I don't know. You know, uh, you know maybe in Wisconsin, this shit flies. It's okay. I don't know. But um, if he were black, the judge would not have thrown out the gun charges. That's the first and most important thing, because that's the charge he couldn't beat. You know, that was a slam dunk. He couldn't beat that charge. He was a minor in possession of an illegal firearms. They found a technicality. It's a wrong length barrel or something. And so, okay. He, um, and the rest of it, you know, he snivels on the stand and everyone goes, oh, a nice white boy shouldn't, shouldn't be punished for, um, you know, mistakes he made. And then this woman said to me, um, well, but, but there are stories of, of, of young black men being acquitted here. And she showed me to this happens every day. And I said, um, no, actually, it doesn't happen every day. But but um, the exception proves the rule. And I can provide you with statistics. Trust me, I've been through the system. Um, it's it's racial, racially bigoted to a degree that's hard to comprehend, in fact. Um, and that's a that's a book that I think people uh, it's old now in a sense. But Loic Waquant, he's a Belgian sociologist called Punishing the Poor. Um, mm. That's a good book. Uh, I'm going to link that too. Uh, he's an odd guy, but but he, he's a very astute observer. He writes about the Banalous in, in France as well, um, the, the Arab um, slums encircling Paris. Uh, uh, you know, white people are, you know, they're never going to address the, the three 
spiritual scars in, in on the American soul, you know, mm. which is which is slavery and and Puritanism and I guess manifest destiny, you know, mm. um, the genocide of Native Americans, the Trail of Tears. I mean, you have those are massive. Those are massive crimes against humanity. And, and Americans, I think, are living with some spiritual taint that they can't shake because of that. You know, you own up to it. Um, anyway, those are my closing thoughts. Anybody else have anything to say? Well, I, th I think I, I totally agree with uh, uh, what you're saying. And the, uh, I think the system itself was built at the beginning to justify uh, whatever was going on, which is uh, settler colonialism and slavery. So uh, it totally makes sense. And we have a president who uh, talked about, I mean, he was the architect of uh, crime bills and- uh, Right, 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 right. Act. So, um, and now uh, Black Lives Matter, but you have to be vaccinated. So it's, um, um, I mean, it shows, it's so obvious. It's, mm. it's appalling. Like um, we have a situation, um, those arts organizations, restaurants and all, all those places voluntarily uh, enforcing vaccine proof, knowing that half the black people wouldn't be able to go in there. It, it just doesn't make any sense. So, right. um, well, I, you know, one final thought on that. You just stimulated this thought for me. Um, you know, I, I think that the white bourgeoisie has no idea um, of the pain, the psychic pain uh, inflicted on black people, young black men, especially, I think. And I've known so many of them and grew up with many of them. Um, it's very difficult to overcome. I mean, they are haunted and, and, um, and damaged in a way that's, that's very hard to overcome. And, and what you're seeing today is the validation of this kind of black bourgeois class, the, this, this kind of Uncle Tom face that I'm seeing more and more and more in media. Um, they, and they're always, there is a certain tone of voice that, that these, the, the black academic has adapted, um, adopted. And, and, uh, and, and, and you can see them like, like running their fingertips, their hands entwined and their, their fingers, um, fingertips, uh, running against each other, you know, in this kind of pompous pose of the pedant or something. Uh, because, but they're being hugely validated because this is being held up as they have gone through the equivalent of Indian school, you know, um, they have been vetted and, 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 and they now are graduates of, of their version of Indian school. I mean, Colin Powell was, you know, one of the most famous of those. Um, may he not rest in peace. Corey? Oh, yeah, I guess my final thoughts would be, you know, I was thinking 
today. If I, if I was with a partner and they were constantly like lying to me, gaslighting me, stealing from me, um, and then chasing me around trying to inject poison into me, people would think that was pretty crazy. And they would tell me that was abuse and to get the hell out, right? <laughs> and get away from that. So I, so it's amazing when we have the same thing now, um, you know, with the, with the, with the, um, corporate state that now, you know, I should trust them doing all, all these same things to me. And, you know, it's just like really sort of depressing, like that full, um, sort of identifying with the oppressor. Um, so anyway, yeah, yeah just like yeah. a lot of, mm. yeah. So that's where my final thoughts are just like the deep, deep rooted psychological issues that we're dealing with here. Of your head. I'm just going to give you five pertinent lines from Kafka's The Trial, if I may. <laughs> so, then, so then I'll be free, said Kay, <clears throat> hesitantly. That's right, said the painter, but only apparently free, or to put it a better way, temporarily free. As the most junior judges, the ones I know, they don't have the right to give the final acquittal. Only the highest judge can do that in the court that's quite out of reach for you, for me, and for all of us. We don't know how things look there, and incidentally, we don't want to know. The right to acquit people is a major privilege, and our judges don't have it, but they do have the right to free people from the indictment. That's to say, if they're freed in this way, then for the time being, the charge is withdrawn, but it's still hanging over their heads, and it only takes an order from higher up to bring it back into force. <laughs> That's great. Um, I think maybe everybody should just read Kafka all the time. Um, we'd all be better off. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, uh, this was interesting. A lot of things we still didn't get to, but but um, uh, and I really miss Varun. He will be here next time. Yeah. Uh, I miss his voice a lot. So um, and, and I think John Bauer will come back and visit us and um, and we'll see. So uh, thank you, Hiroyuki, Corey, <laughs> Johan. <laughs> dead air, dead air. Hey, thanks, thanks, everybody. Bye. <laughs> and I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you all soon. Bye. 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 -bye.